This podcast brought to you by ACES, the American Society of Information Science and Technology, the Society for Information Professionals, by the IA Summit, the premier gathering place for information architects and other user experience professionals, by Boxes and Arrows. Visit boxesnarrows.com slash about slash participate to be a part of your peer-written journal. And special thanks to Axure and Morin for sponsoring Boxes and Arrows, as well as the many other sponsors of the IA Summit. Mobile sites are not an afterthought to be appended at the end of a development cycle. Smartphones have something that desktop computers do not. Context. We need to rebuild the mobile web from the ground up, capitalizing on the fact that we can know where our users are, and consequently, we can know their intentions. Information architect with Razorfish John Pettengill believes mobile websites should address the needs of the users who are out and about, and any site that doesn't shouldn't be considered part of the mobile web. I hope everyone enjoys the podcast. Cheers. Um, so, an, an internet watered down. I'm John, um, and I work at Razorfish in New York. And I've done a lot of content websites while I'm there, a lot of kind of fashion industry. Daily Candy, which some of y'all may have heard of, uh, Women's Wear Daily, um, also Balenciaga, which is it's kind of like Gucci, a little bit more avant-garde. But I've worked on a range of projects, but of course I didn't start as an IA. I imagine most of y'all didn't either. Um, I used to be a graphic designer. And I worked at Ikea, which was interesting, maybe not as cool as one would think, but it was a valuable experience because uh, the graphic designers at Ikea, you have to learn about the layout of the store, and you make maps, and you make arrows, and at a certain point, you become an uh, experienced designer because you're designing these spaces. So you have to think about the user and where they want to go and the story you're trying to tell. So about showing users the, the showrooms with the living rooms and bedrooms and bathrooms and then showing the user the marketplace. And you have to realize that some users don't want to do that. So some users want to make their own story. And I think that experience was very valuable for me. But before that, of course, I was a math guy, like most of us here, probably. Probably not. Um, uh, but I... I think math taught me a lot about being very technical. I think being a graphic designer maybe teaches you about thinking creatively and maybe thinking a little big. And uh, being math, uh, being a math guy, taught me to think really specifically, uh, specifically optimization of systems, operations research, right? Nobody? Okay. Um, but of course, as a big geek. But now, now, I'm much cooler. I'm an information architect and a sci-fi lover. I think there's a little geek in all of us, which is a good thing. I think it helps us. Um, and I think the sci-fi really helped me. Reading those Neil Stevenson um, books and reading William Gibson, I think they inspire us and, and all the others, all the others. I, they inspire us to think where we haven't been yet. Because if we start from what we know, it's almost a predictable path, but if we start from things that haven't even happened yet. I don't know. Uh, what can we do? So basically, I'm disappointed with the mobile websites I've seen, which is way worse than being mad at them. I'm disappointed. So it's, I'm pretty upset, frankly, because they're just like the regular websites, um, but with less, less content, less ways to navigate the content, and less functionality. So these websites aren't awful. They work. but it just isn't what I expected. Um, now, I'm going to have these little cards 
which it's funny, they, they, it seems so small. It's like wallet sized here and so big there, which is just funny to me. Um, but they have these discernible points for you. So I was thinking it'd be really helpful to have things to write down because most of this, I'm going to try and talk about this idea, this hope that I have, which is it's hard to communicate the hope and the excitement that we feel about mobile. But I think this may make it easier. So if this helps you, um, hopefully, you know, you'll write it down. Um, and my presentation is also on SlideShare. So uh, these will, you'll see throughout the presentation, and I'm going to ignore it now. Um, so our users don't deserve less on the mobile web. I think we all could agree. We always want to give them as much as we can. We want to give them more. Um, so let's give it to them. Um, let's stop treating mobile site builds as an afterthought, something we tag onto the end. I mean, who has been there when you're, you're building a pitch for some client, and then two days before you're delivering it, the uh, PM comes up to you and says, listen, we need to do mobile. Just throw in a slide on the end. I mean, has anyone had to do that, or is that just me? Because I do that all the time. And it's just something that we're just supposed to throw on like it doesn't matter. But I think it does matter. And that space is becoming increasingly relevant. Um, no more watered down intranets. So this is the real deal. Uh, this is presentation. So problem, some solutions that I've played around with, um, case studies, so what's currently happening, and the wrap up. And i just like to say, case in point, all right, right now I have this mic. It's a wireless mic, which happens to have a wire, which that's another problem. I have my iPhone here. I have my camera, because my iPhone doesn't take great pictures. I have an insulin pump, because I'm diabetic, so I have this cord running in me and this insulin pump. I have a name tag. None of these speak to each other. There's no communication between them. And maybe there doesn't need to be a lot of communication between my name tag and my insulin pump. But that's kind of part of who I am. When you think about me, you think, you know, oh, if John ever collapses, you know, he's diabetic. So, it, and my name tag, this, why isn't this? Is there something missing here? So that's basically what I'm talking about today. Not to mention the fact that my wallet is another separate thing. My pockets are full, they're bulging. Uh, anyway, um, so number one, the problem. The World Wide Web is trying to become a local tool. We couldn't help but put the yellow pages online. I mean, why not? We can add reviews. It's searchable. It's a great tool. But it's not quite a local tool yet, because we're still doing the same thing. We're still at our desk, at a table, doing our research, flipping through pages or mousing around. We're still doing the same thing. This process of this research is divorced from the reality of the real world outside. Um, but it isn't a local tool, because it's on our computers. It never was, and it never will be. These sites are great, and we need them. They perform a valuable function. But these sites are not part of the, the local web, or like a local tool, and they aren't part of the mobile web, which makes sense. They're on a computer. Of course they're not the mobile web. But I'm saying that mobile optimized versions of these sites aren't the mobile web either. If we're just moving over content onto these devices, I don't think that's the right way to go. I, we, can, we have to rethink it. When we make a website, we ask ourselves questions. What does the user need? You know, what can we give them? 
when we're working with mobile devices, we aren't asking those questions again. We're asking, how do I get what's on here onto my mobile? We need to be asking the same questions. What does our user need? What can we give them? Uh, we're just offering users the same old internet. And they have broad content. A lot of stuff is on the internet. Of course, most of it's porn, but that's fine. You know, we have a lot of useful things on the internet, too. And it's powerful, but we have very general functionality, um, which doesn't work on a phone. Okay, maybe it works on a phone, but it doesn't fit on a phone. All right, and we've made it fit now, but it doesn't make sense on a phone. So the problem has evolved, and we've addressed it. We had those ugly websites that we finally got onto our phones. And now we've gussied them up. But you know, you put a pig in a dress, it's still a pig. We're in Tennessee, so I figured I had to, and I'm from Texas, so I figured I had to come up with some southern colloquialisms to charm you with. I can bring out the accent, but uh, that'll get ugly. So anyway, all right, your phone is not the same as your home computer. Home computers have big keyboards, large monitors, fast connections, and you're just relaxing in your PJs, or maybe you're at work. But the point is, the internet can be sloppy. You have five tabs open on your browser, six windows, you're commenting, YouTubing, who knows what you're doing. You can do a lot of stuff. And it's all right if you don't find what you need, because you know you have another tab open, you have another window open, you can search through all these different channels, all these different websites. But phones, phones are different. They have small displays, tiny keyboards, and multitasking users. Because when you're using the phone, or when I'm using my phone, I'm walking down the street, chewing gum, hailing a cab, trying to find a restaurant. We're in a different environment. And I know it sounds easy to say that they aren't the same thing, but I don't think we've internalized that yet. So as a result, the mobile internet cannot be sloppy. It needs to be much more direct, this hyper-specific functionality. So if these two are so different, why are we giving our users the same thing? It's no lie that content works on a cell phone. So moving this content over onto our phones, it does work. I mean, otherwise, we wouldn't have gone as far as we have. It, it works. But that's not the point. Um, we have. This is in our pocket. This is beyond the wildest dreams of someone 20 years ago. This is an amazing device. And I mean this agnostically, of course. Blackberry, Android, electric razor, I don't care what you have. It's, this is an amazing device. It's a communication holy grail. It's a, a touchdown for our species. And we're using it to play Sudoku and read the times. Are you disappointed? I mean, I'm really disappointed. Is that it? Is that all we're doing with this? We're playing Sudoku, and we're texting. Um, it's like asking Frank Gehry to build a birdhouse, which is a bad idea for a couple different reasons, but most, mostly because it's a waste of his time. And honestly, that's what mobiles do. They waste our time. That was a pretty good transition right there. Two different topics linked. I was excited about that one. That one came to me. There's a rough one up ahead, but I'll, I'll carry you guys through it. So mobiles, they fill up our dead time. They've become our book, and they're our TV and our radio. We listen to music on them, and um, they play games, um, which is great. It, I mean, it's, it's cool. We, we use them you know, whenever we're bored or we're waiting or the presentation kind of sucks, so you check your mail. But the point is that we're using it in this gap. 
So we have all these other times when I'm trying to find a book, a Barnes and Noble. I'm uh, wondering what the speed limit is, or if I can turn right on red in New York or whatever. So uh, there are lots of times when we're actually trying to do something. We're trying to open an account at the bank. We're, we're doing stuff. In our daily lives, we do functional things, real things that aren't just sitting around bored. Um, and we aren't addressing that at all. Because we're repeating categories when we should be forging new ones. Right now, our phone is still just our book. It's still just our Nintendo. It's still just a TV or a radio. Uh, we should be doing more than that. Um, especially when our phone, it finally knows something, finally can do something. It is context. We know where a user is. And when we know where a user is, we can know what they're doing. We can know maybe what they're trying to do. A list of 100 different options. You know, the hundreds of things you could be doing at any one moment. If I know where you are, that list shrinks and shrinks. Five things. And you know what? I, I don't care about dressing the needs of all users. I want to make nine people extremely happy. I'm sorry to that 10th person, which is probably you and you and you. I, I'm sorry, guys. You're going to have to wait. But let's meet the needs of the many and anticipate their needs based on their location. So I figure some of this is probably preaching to the choir. I hope it is. Um, you guys realize this mobile space is changing. Our lives are changing the way our society is changing because of these devices. Um, but you know what? I don't think our clients or businesses, they don't understand what that means yet. They say, we need mobile. We need to be on the mobile web. But they don't know what they're asking for yet. Um, because they're asking us for this. And I have to admit, I looked for the ugliest, ugliest pictures I could find of the mobile web. But uh, same point, we've dressed this up a little, but it's still just a watered-down internet. Let's do one better. Let's give them this. Now, this is a Star Trek communicator. And a friend from work was kind enough to inform me that the communicator really can't do that much. You can't even text. I was like, well, that's not really the point with this. I think there's a promise with this communicator. I'm not a big Trek fan, but I know what the communicator is. It, there's all this potential. It's almost like a character in Star Trek. It's, there's possibility that you're connected with your crew, and you're connected with uh, your ship, and it felt like there are no boundaries. If it was electronic, you could talk to it. Even if it wasn't, you know, I'm sure there's an episode where someone could talk to the communicator without anybody having an electronic device. I'll do some research. Someone go on IMDb or trekresource.com. But the point is, we have this promise that we haven't delivered on. Um, we're going to hyperlink the world, and this is going to be our mouth. So that's a lot of talk, and I like getting really specific. So really, I almost hope people disagree with me. I kind of want to put a stake in the ground on some of these things. Um, as long as we agree on the idea, the trajectory, it doesn't matter if we disagree with these little details, because we all have our reasons for thinking that the mobile internet isn't going the way it should be. We all agree it needs to be better. So let's make it better. So you are at the grocery store. This is kind of a guided visualization. So if everyone, don't close your eyes, but you know, be open. So you're at the grocery store. Um, you have a killer case of the donut munchies. You just really want those hostess donuts. But the line is super long, which sucks. 
Um, there's a screaming kid right in front of you, and apparently Reese and Ryan broke up. So it's not a great experience. And now you have to find your credit card. And next, you have to use this machine to pay. You know what? No one wants to use this. This credit card reader, it's different every place you go. And there's always someone named Stacy or Chip behind the counter who has to explain to you, a moderately intelligent person, how to use this stupid machine with like 10 buttons. You always have to press a green button twice. You're sliding your card in on its like short side. I don't know what it is, but we can't use these. And they're different everywhere we go. Uh, cash is consistent, a consistent experience. Every time you buy something, you give them money, and they give you change. With this card, sometimes I give it to them, and then they do that magic they do, and they give it back. Sometimes I have to do it. it it's just interesting me, to me that this experience has changed. Um, and maybe it's not a, a really important point. Maybe we don't need this. But you know, we don't need cell phones either, but they're sure nice to have. So most of us would prefer to use our own tool, in short. And our tool probably looks something like this. So again, maybe it's an Android, maybe it's a Storm, maybe it's a Excel 10, IBM, whatever. But it's probably your smartphone. So you go to checkout, and you're given this window here. And it's telling you, uh, would you like to charge that amount of money to your MasterCard? And no, I wouldn't. I would like to charge to my checking. So I enter my PIN, and I charged it. Great. So purchasing with your cell phone is an old idea. And it's not an incredibly exciting one. Maybe it means I can get rid of my wallet. But uh, that doesn't seem hugely convenient. Um, but the thing is, this could change the way we budget. So budgeting is this activity we do when we aren't buying things. It's separate. It's divorced from it. Which is, I mean, that's fine. But that sure doesn't seem like the optimal way to do this. What if we knew our budget right when we bought something? We could categorize it right away. Just two seconds of my time. I can see my entire budget for the month. Uh, and you know what? All of a sudden, we killed Saturday morning budgeting. We combined two things that are divorced in reality. Because we live in a static world. There are their boundaries and their laws, and things aren't connected that sometimes should be. And this isn't even to mention digital coupon delivery and all this stuff, which I think we've talked about a lot. Now, I think there are even opportunities for the user, the customer, to really be connected with brands. So the idea that uh, macaroni and cheese, craft macaroni and cheese, it doesn't matter where you buy it. You always get points for buying it. So if you buy it at the grocery store or the bodega, as long as you use your, your smartphone to do it, you get points. And I think that's an interesting idea. So if someone can mock up something, we could throw it up at the end. Just an idea. Just, all right, so uh, this is my bad trans transition. Uh, now we're talking again, about the needs of users and how they change depending on whether or not you're at home. Um, so when you're at home, Barnes & Noble, it's a cool website. I mean, you can read um, professional reviews of books. You can look at user ratings. You can look at CDs. You can kind of browse around. It's fun. You know, It's a, a nice little website. It's a good website. I mean, most of us couldn't say it's bad. It's not awful. It's, it's good. And when you're out, 
you can still find a Barnes and Noble to go to. I mean, it's useful. Is it useless at a Barnes and Noble? Is there a purpose for the Barnes and Noble website when you're at Barnes and Noble? Because um, right now, it, I don't think it's useful anymore. But should it be? Can we do something for users in the online space? Can we search for a book at that Barnes and Noble and take them to it? Uh, can we preview CDs? Or do we have to use those nasty headphones and wait in line? Can we wait on those comfy little chairs and preview CDs from there? Um, can you order a latte refill without having to pack up your things? And I'm saying that we can. So when you walk into a space, your phone buzzes, and it alerts you that there's a mobile app. So maybe you turn that setting off. But um, what I'm suggesting here, it's kind of hard to see. There are these three dots, and then there's an M. And that M is for the mobile space. So maybe on my home screen, I can flick, and I can get to this mobile app page. And everywhere around me that is broadcasting a mobile app, an Apple-authorized mobile app, um, it tells me, and I can click on it, and I can access this. The point is, it shouldn't be something I have to download ahead of time, because I, you know, I go to Barnes & Noble, what, twice a month? Um, but this is something that we can deliver and push to people. I don't see why we can't. Um, so it launches, and I can search. There's a map. You know, I'm searching for Little Voice, a CD, and I'm previewing it here. And I think an exciting thing we can do with our mobiles uh, this is a shuffle. So um, online, we have categories. So you're on a website. You see categories for things like fiction, nonfiction biographies. And it works well. We have featured books, whatever. You're at the store. You're in the biography section. You see all the biographies. You know what? Having categories on your phone isn't very useful. Having genres, browsing by, by seeing all of them. Because you can, you can just see them right there in front of you. There's nothing that's going to beat that. But there's something that we can't do in that physical space. Serendipity is suddenly lost. We can have a, a table of kind of related books, but we organize a thing for a reason so you can find them. So serendipity, all of a sudden, it's just hard to do in that physical space. So this is a shuffle where you take five pictures of books that you like. We do recognition on them. Or maybe there's some person on the other end typing in the book names. Um, and then we add randomness. So maybe we add a little, or maybe we slide that sucker over to add a lot. Um, and we're given a book. And maybe we say we're not interested, and it shows us another. Maybe we just flick through and see all these different book listings. But the idea is that serendipity can be present even in a confined, static place. And of course, we have a map. And I couldn't talk about maps without talking about AugRAL, or ARAL, or I'm working on the cool short name for that. Um, and I'm not really going to talk about augmented reality today, but I suggest strongly that you search for it. And if you have a webcam on your computer, you can see some really amazing things. It's really exciting what we're doing. Um, and that's next. After we nail this one, I think that's next. So, um, so those are some thoughts. So we saw the, the app for buying, which was kind of a Mint-sponsored app was agnostic of locations. But it worked. It was designed for a specific location in it. And it gave you something for retailers. So it was an app with a functionality specific to a type of location. Then we saw the Barnes & Noble app, which is kind of a brand extension, giving richer functionality and hopefully 
um, helping users love them. Um, so right now, we're going to talk a little bit about what's actually out there. Uh, how far away is the stuff I was talking about? Is it really far away? Is it, is it close? So Michael loves going to Starbucks. He uh, reads his book, he listens to music, and sometimes he buys coffee. Um, and when he hears music he likes, he can't always get the artist's name. And if he gets the artist's name, sometimes he doesn't write it down. And if he does write it down, sometimes he doesn't buy the song. There's a gap there. But Apple and Starbucks um, have teamed up. A lot of you probably know this. And they've made um, an extension of the iTunes store. And it's a Starbucks store where you can see maybe the last 10 songs played and some featured songs. It's a cool space. And conveniently, Apple has a store where you can buy music. Oh, that's kind of a convergent little happy little coincidence. Um, so Starbucks is giving users timely information and tools specific to their environment. And let me tell you right now that the iTunes store, the average, the median purchase is under $3. It's like $2.97, which means that most people that go to that, the, the iTunes store, they only buy three things, maybe three songs. And they keep that purchase window open for hours and hours. So you buy one song, you wait a couple hours. You buy another song, maybe you wait one hour, and then you know, maybe you buy two more. But the point is that most purchases are one-offs. You could say they're impulse buys. You just need that song, and you're going to go get it. So if you hear a song that you really like, and you can buy it immediately, what does that do? There's no gap anymore. You can just you hear something you like, like, oh, I'm going to buy it. One press of a button, no searching. I think there's real potential for other businesses to follow this model and to make a mint. Now, they did this without NFC and without GPS. I've heard a lot of people say that here in the States, we can't do cool things with our phone. In Japan, they can. And in Japan, they have NFC. And you can use your phone to buy your subway ride. You go up to the turnstile, tap your phone. You could go on through. You use it to buy sodas. And you know, in Japan, their phones have TVs. They do. And they have NFC, GPS. They have everything, lasers, swords. Like these, their phones are amazing, leagues above. Um, Oh, I'm sorry, uh, near fields communication. So it's a protocol similar to Bluetooth, um, except it's, it has to be really tight. So there's some security in that tightness, because Bluetooth is maybe 15 feet. Does that sound right? It's, a, it's about that. So it, it's, there's kind of a range. So there's no security in that. We don't know whose phone is giving off this signal or what we're connecting to. But NFC, or near, near field communications, you have to be really close, so I know this is me, and I'm you know, walking through that turnstile. So you know what? No more excuses. This is my challenge to all of you. Maybe we can't do this yet, but keep this in your heads and know that we have a brighter future ahead, and we are all going to need to push forward to it. Shazam didn't need any excuses. They did what Apple did, but in the real world, out loose. So Shazam is a mobile app where you can record a song playing, you know, just like this. You don't have to hold it up, but it's for effect. You hold your phone up. You can record a song, and it sends it to Shazam. Shazam runs their little algorithm. Then they send you a message back, 
and say that the song you were listening to was Mariah Carey's I'll Be Loving You Long Time um, with T.I. Uh, and they tell you that, and then they give you um, a couple ways to buy it. Uh, Shazam didn't need any excuses. They can't control the location. They don't know what kind of music you're sending to them, but they made this app, and it works. Um, Amazon didn't need any excuses. The iPhone, you can't get close enough to objects to take a, a good picture of barcodes. You have, you'd have to get really close, and by that point, it's blurry. I unfortunately don't know enough about cameras to describe what exactly is going on, but it's a lens thing. Um, but anyway, that's a constraint. But Amazon didn't let that stop them from uh, uh, providing an app, the Amazon mobile app. In the Remember section, Amazon Remembers, you can take a picture of an object, of this picture. I send it to them, and then they will send me back a comparable Amazon product. Now, they did this with a warehouse of people that I feel very sorry for recognizing, because I'm just doing it at my desk, my coffee mug, and you know, cups, pens. Um, but this is exciting. We live in a space where I can see something physical, and I can get a virtual um, something comparable in the virtual space. I can see it on Amazon. And Urban Spoon certainly didn't need any excuses. Now, I have to apologize. Earlier, I said that these mobile incarnations of real websites, they aren't the mobile web. I think some of them are. I think Yelp is a great example. So especially when they have local content, Yelp is a great tool. It, it shows you restaurants that are nearby or gyms that are nearby. You can pick a category and see what else is around you, right around you. And I think that's functionality specific to a mobile that they made uh, that makes that a mobile tool. It makes it the mobile web. And Urban Spoon is a really cute tool. It has these three spinners. One is for um, a region or area inside the city you're at. One is for cuisine type, and one is for uh, expense. And you shake your phone, and those dials all spin, and then they land on you know, three different categories, and then you get a recommendation right around you. I think it's charming. It does one thing, and it does it really well. It just gives you one, one restaurant. I think they've added deeper functionality since then, but it just gives you one. And you know what? That's all I need. If I'm looking for a restaurant, all I need to do is shake this sucker, find a restaurant. Do I want to go? No. Shake it again. That's all it does. And that's all we need with these functional tools in the mobile web. We need it to be easy, one-offs, hyper-specific functionality. We need to make tailored apps. So any way you look at it, the way mobiles fit into our lives is changing. It wasn't too long ago that people were asking, why would I want to bring a phone with me? Why can't I just make calls when I'm at home? And now we have so many questions <laughs> to ask about what, you know, what this space is doing and you know, why do we need this. You know, we don't, we don't need it, but it sure is great. It makes our lives better. So this is the wrap up. I'd love to take questions and challenges and all that stuff once this is done. So I'm not saying your mobile is some kind of magic wand. That's silly. But I kind of am. I'm excited. And I think you guys should be too. We are in a fantastic new space. Um, if we're hyperlinking the world, this is our mouse. And there's this layer of information above us. 
and we can't gain access to it. There's all this Wikipedia content, probably about this very room, maybe pictures and other conferences that have taken place here. Why can't I access it? Why do I have to shovel through the internet with this? So retail brands are offering powerful brand extensions. They're giving users functionality that really deepens their experience with the brand. And there's something about this device. It's so intimate. I call my family. I send pictures to my friends. This device is almost me. It's my uh, electronic brain. Um, and it helps us get things done. But that personal connection, if I'm relating with a brand on this device, all of a sudden my relationship with that brand is different. Um, we're doing this on our own terms. And now on the other side, standalone apps. This is Wikitude. It's for the Android. And it's pretty fantastic. It's an augmented reality app where you can look through your phone. And it's going to show you an image. And it's going to put layer information on top from Wikipedia. I think I don't know if anyone's ever used it. Um, but this is a new space we're in. We're accessing the virtual world in our physical one. Some things to remember. Um, Y'all probably saw these earlier, but I'm just going to run through them again now. We can't assume a one-to-one -one relationship between a mobile, and, a mobile website and the actual site on the internet. We need to ask the same questions. What is this for? What, does our, what do our users need? Um, users are in two different places. So again, this is kind of reinforcing the same point. Do users need the same functionality when they're on the train, when they're walking, when they're in a restaurant, when they're in a Best Buy, as they do when they are at home or at work? Notice how I can say everywhere, like everywhere in the entire, I could be here for hours saying all the different places a user could be, or at home or at work. Now, making content available that's fine. Sometimes it's useful. Not always, but sometimes it's useful, and we do that. I imagine we all have done, done that or thought about doing it or seen it done. Um, but we can do more. We're creating these new functionalities. We're, we're discovering new things. We're occupying a new space. We're not talking about TVs anymore. We're not talking about books, Nintendos. Something new is going on here do one thing. Now I'm talking about hyper-specific functionality. You want an app that does one thing, does it well. I'm sorry to the 10% that we don't address. You know, let's please that 90%. Don't be afraid of pissing some users off. I know that's something my business, Razorfish, hates to hear me say, but I think it's true. I'd rather be nine people's favorite thing than 100 people's ninth favorite thing. Now, combined tasks that are separate but shouldn't be. We live in a static world. That doesn't mean that this can't bridge those gaps. We can find opportunities outside this dead time. This isn't just a tool to entertain us. This isn't a mobile above you know, our collective crib. Oh, that was a really bad metaphor. I meant like a play mobile, a mobile above our crib to entertain us. This is a tool. And it's a fun tool. It's a personal tool. But it can be a tool. It's not just. Uh, you know, a throwaway, I'm going to do this for five seconds. Um, and we saw with uh, Starbucks, you know, at Starbucks, they sell music, kind of, but they are a cafe. They sell coffee. Um, but their extension didn't have anything to do with coffee. And we see that that still relates to the brand. And uh, 
brand extensions uh, in this mobile space, we can add serendipity. We can add a smile, um, which that sounded cheesy, but I think we get the idea. I hope that people here are interested in the idea of being experienced crafters, not just usability, which is an important part of what we do, but making experiences that are memorable and pleasurable. We shouldn't be giving users watered-down websites. So let's stop trying to profile users and guess what they want to do. Um, we should focus on where the user is doing it. We can know so much about a user if we know where they are. We can anticipate needs and we can deliver, finally. We finally know something about the user, let's, let's use it. So this brings up big questions. How is gaming gonna change social, social networks and everything else? So that's purchasing, that's connecting with your friends, it's everything. I think there's some huge questions and we're just beginning to see it now, especially with the development of the iPhone 3.0 SDK. So thank you and uh, good night. Yes. So the question and observation was that the Barnes & Noble app, just having a map in your pocket would be extraordinarily useful, but um, there's the inescapable fact that once users start using their mobiles to find out information about a book, are they going to do price comparisons? And that's kind of in essence what the question was. And I, I Right, I think uh, that's a question that we see all over. It's like reviews on websites. Do we want our users to review our products? No, they're gonna say they suck, you know, no reviews. I think clients are already afraid of that in other forms. I think the user being informed is inescapable, but I don't think saying it's inevitable is an appropriate answer for you. So I'm gonna say that a lot of people are gonna be scared and they aren't gonna do it, but that information is out there People are starting to do it anyway. Uh, it makes better products or more affordable products. Um, and I think that uh, some people are gonna start doing it. We are gonna start seeing it, but maybe it won't be Barnes & Noble. Maybe it'll be a smaller retailer that isn't afraid. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a great point. So the question was about books and if there are any books that really delve into the mobile space and what we're missing. Is that? Yeah, maybe not how to design it, but kind of a creative look and, and the lines with Gibson. And I don't know. I think we've all seen it in books, but maybe we didn't realize it. Because ideally, this should be seamless. And this is just how we buy stuff. And oh, it's kind of cool. It connects to the cloud and saves our budget information and pulls it down or whatever. Um, I don't know. I think there have been some interesting cases of aug RAL, augmented reality, um, with lenses and Casey's glasses and one of Gibson's. Was, couldn't, you, couldn't you do something? Any Gibson fans? I'm, I'm not sure. I haven't really read anything that kind of shook me in my boots. Pattern recognition. Right, and I think Gibson, one great thing about Gibson is everything he talks about is there. In Pattern Recognition, love that book. And there was geotagging and spook country, which wasn't as good, but Gibson's so wonderful. Um, yeah, if you haven't read Pattern Recognition.
Wait, what's it called? Can you? Synthetic serendipity. All right, that sounds, yeah, please come up after. Spell that for me. <laughs> are, are there any other comments or questions? Yes? Yeah, especially at our offices, I imagine. Um, so the question was, what about all the different development programs and protocols that different uh, businesses are establishing? So Nokia versus iPhone and, and Apple's Coco and, and that. So I think the cool thing with the Star Trek communicator was that it could talk to everything. Like, of course, anything electronic you could, or that's how I see it in my head. And honestly, I haven't watched enough Star Trek to know, but that's the promise I see, that it is ubiquitous. And of course, I, you know, my iPhone talks to my insulin pump, talks to my wireless mic. And I think, I imagine that they're going to establish something. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I assume that it's going to, I think with the browser wars, with the Netscape and Explorer, they're both struggling to try and do as much as they could. Someone spoke a little bit about this, how they both wanted to accept any kind of HTML you could throw at it, any cool thing. They wanted to be able to do everything so that developers would use them. But eventually, everything got slow and bogged down. But really, the main thing was people said, all right, we need to establish a standard and have something that's going to work across. And I, I don't know if that'll be as possible for these because they're so different, these devices. But we're, I guess, going to have to, at some point, establish some kind of cross-platform. Wow, that sounds very progressive. I think the Palm is trying to really position itself as a competitor to the iPhone. It's, and that challenge, that, that gauntlet that they threw down was pretty serious. Um, yes? So the question or the observation was about how the iPhone is really restricted and how when you open an app, that's, you know, it is open and that's all you can do. And then when you close it, it is gone. Well, I think in the iPhone 3.0 release on Tuesday, they said they're going to enable push notification for all apps. So I think that partly answers your question. But there's something, I, by the nature of the device, that it's restricted. It, it is hard to do multiple things and to keep your your mind open. But I thought the mobile kind of space on your app, that mobile screen, and the idea that you can see what's around me, what mobile apps are around me, I think that's kind of an interesting thought. And I think there's something there. But I think it needs to be bigger. You know, we can't just have this siloed, this is what I'm looking at. And maybe that's how we think, but we are always thinking, like, I also need to do my groceries, or, you know, get my groceries, even though I need to find a place to eat. And I think push notifications will help that a lot. And maybe some will find some paradigm that really allows us to do multiple things at once. Probably when this gets faster, maybe we can change apps and have three open and just flick through them. But I don't, know, I don't think I quite answered it. But there is a gap there. This, I think we're really discovering what this can do. And we're realizing you know, if it can do that or, or not. So are there, yes? The, yeah, I would say it is the same here. You'll get caught with some, some bull. Um, we do have flat packages, but uh, the question was about, um, in Germany, how the pricing plans are very lame. I mean, it's a ripoff. It's a ripoff. Is that basically what you're saying? And data transfer is very expensive. I think that's, that's been getting 
better and adoption will increase when prices go down. But I, with phones, I mean, with Bell, Ma Bell, and how it was a racket. It was a real racket. And I see, I don't know, I don't know a ton about that. But. Oh yeah, SMS costs nothing, and it is so expensive to send these text messages. Twenty-five hundred dollars per per megabyte. If you use all the characters, wow. Yeah, it's. I mean, it is a racket, and I think we're just gonna have to wait. And I think at some point our businesses are gonna start challenging each other a little bit more, and we're gonna get something more appropriate, especially as we are becoming this wireless society and we need data plans that are, aren't absurd because honestly they get so much money, so much money from us. All right, I think we should wrap it up. I think it's time. So uh, thank you all very much. To hear even more presentations from the 2009 IA Summit, point your browser to boxesnarrows.com and click on the podcast link. There you'll find access to the iTunes feed and more information about each presentation. Our heartfelt thanks to the organizers and sponsors of the 10th Annual IA Summit, the presenters, and of course to the global community. We look forward to feedback about future episodes that will be of greatest value to you, our listeners.